everyone, and welcome to episode 221 of the MTG Goldfish Podcast. It's Seth, probably better known as Saffron Olive, and we have a small crew this week. Krim is getting ready to fly out in just a few minutes, I think, to Mythic Championship London, so he couldn't be here this week, but thankfully, we do have the owner of MTG Goldfish, Richard. How's it going this week, Richard? Hey, Seth. Ten bucks says Krim is deciding which to fairies to bring and... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> putting putting the final touches on whatever version of Esper Control I'm sure he's playing. <laughs> yeah, down to the wire, which means Pro Tours this week, and Krim's going to be there, so maybe we'll get to talk about him in the top eight, huh? Yeah, that would be pretty awesome. It's going to be a very interesting Pro Tour. I, I am very excited for this one, and well, I mean, I guess I'm kind of getting ahead of myself a little bit. That is one of our topics for today. We have a, a pretty full cast, actually. We have, starting off with War of the Spark, full set, a few more cards we wanted to talk about, impressions of uh, just the set in general, I guess, uh, now that we have the whole thing out. A couple of other product announcements with Mythic Edition and also a new signature spellbook uh, featuring Gideon cards. Pro Tour, or I guess rather Mythic Championship London uh, preview predict- uh, predictions that's coming up this weekend and of course your fish mail so tons of topics to get to today which uh, should be sweet lots of good stuff to talk about this week but before we jump into it a reminder that the sponsor of the show today is spikesacademy.com the world's first magic the gathering e-learning academy they have really sweet online courses by amazing players pvddr reduke seth manfield tons of sweet courses there you can check them out at spikesacademy.com even get 10 percent off with the code goldfish and to learn more you can check out spikes underscore academy on twitter so thank you to spikes academy for their support and with that out of the way uh let's start off with i guess the biggest news, which is we have the full set of War of the Spark, and we have a short list of cards we wanted to talk about, uh, so we will get to those, but first, Richard, now that we've seen the entire set, it's all out there, what do you think about this set? How hyped are you? How good is this set? Uh, just where are you at as far as War of the Spark overall? So the entire set was previewed this past week, and I don't know, man, there's just so many crazy cards, like so many mythics, so many legendaries, so many gods. I can't keep track of them. They're just all so good, but that that can't be true, right? Some of them will be better than others, but uh, Power Creep, holy moly. Uh, so I don't know, Seth. There, there's just so many cards for standard, for eternal formats, for commander. I don't know. We just got to start playing with all the cards. And we also had all these product announcements. Like Wizards <laughs> really loves just like pouring on all the news in like one shot. Oh, uh, yeah. So, I mean, overall, they did a pretty good job with spoiler season uh, being very slow. And I actually, I was skeptical at first because some of the pacing was a little bit strange, but I actually liked the like narrative driven spoiler season. And I believe that this is going to be kind of the new normal for spoiler season, which I think is a good thing because I've heard a lot of positive feedback from the community in general over this uh, style of spoiler season season. Uh, but yeah, right at the end of spoiler season, it was all of a sudden like, oh yeah, here's the rest of War of the Spark, here's a bunch of other products, and just a ton of news at once. Uh, as far as War of the Spark in specific, I think this set looks insane. Uh, I feel like I think the comparison heading into spoiler season was Dominaria, but with Planeswalkers instead of Legends, and I definitely get that sense now that we've seen the whole set. Not only do we have 
all these planeswalkers and these iconic characters that are primarily planeswalkers. But like you said, we have the gods returning. We have Flibblefip and these just like random legendary characters coming back. Uh, and then we have all the spells associated with planeswalkers. So I'm expecting this set to be really popular. One of the most popular sets, uh, at least since Dominaria, which at the time was a huge success. So I think a super popular set and the set looks really powerful. I expect it to have a major impact on standard. I have some stuff that shows up in like modern and even legacy and older formats. And there's a ton of cards for commander too. So I am super hyped and excited for War of the Spark. I think my expectations were high heading into it and my expectations expectations are just as high or maybe even higher now that we have the full set and i just can't wait to start playing with the new cards they look so many cards look super fun and i just can't wait to build around them yeah i'm just gonna go to limb and say this will be the greatest selling magic set of all time if it is not cannibalized by magic arena uh, i think magic <laughs> arena will see an insane boost in players because of this set you know, if you play Hearthstone, you're like, what's a Planeswalker? Now you have uncommon Planeswalkers. You have 36 Planeswalkers in the set. Go to town with all the voice lines and the cool animations. And I, I think it's just a really cool set. Like, old players will love it. New players will love it. It's perfect to showcase Arena. So I, I think this will be, like, just one of the biggest Magic events we've ever seen. You know, not even... You know, the preview season, the Mythic Invitation, and all of that, but just the actual set itself. Yeah, I agree. And I've already heard some early reports from uh, card stores and people who are like selling this set, taking pre orders, that it's actually outpacing Dominaria, which at the time was, oh my goodness, this is the best selling set, the most hype set. I can't believe how well it's doing. So I've heard, uh, obviously, uh, selective reports from different game stores and stuff that it's actually outselling Dominaria, which is super impressive. I agree. It's going to be huge everywhere. The only question I have, and I want to hear what you think about this, Richard. Can they do this again? Like we, so we had a year ago, Dominaria, which feels very similar with all the characters, except it was Legends rather than Planeswalkers. Now we have War of the Spark kind of following the Dominaria model with Planeswalkers. Are we out of like sets full of iconic characters as legends or planeswalkers or can they keep going back to this well somehow or is this just like a one-shot thing that you can do one time i think they can go back i think they can go back they could resurrect yogmoth or something like i don't know we have all these characters there are all these like hidden characters in the background or characters that never got planeswalker cards like we saw sarah in uh modern horizons right people love that right i'm sure we could come up with more stuff so i don't i don't think uh this is a one-time thing i i do believe that next year we'll be sitting here talking again about the best selling magic set or whatever the question is uh what will happen to the power level like will we be sitting there with a two man a five five that destroys a creature on the battlefield <laughs> when it enters like i don't know right like you can only pump up the power so many times, so uh, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. I love that they've managed to uh, make these sets that are exciting for new players, but also have this like nostalgia factor where we see uh, see cards that kind of reward players who have been around a while. I think like Flibblefip is a great example of this, like this weird meme character that most people don't even care about, but has like this cult following, uh, random planeswalkers that haven't really uh, had a ton of cards before. Uh, so I feel like they've done a really good job in the last year of 
creating cards that feel new and exciting and accessible to people who maybe just picked up the game because of Arena, but also are fun and exciting for players who have been playing for a decade or even two decades and have this like nostalgia factor like, oh man, I remember this story from 15 years ago with whatever set and it's so cool that they're referencing it here. So I, I think they've, I, I'm very impressed with uh, the design and maybe it goes back to the, uh, at least to some extent to the play design team because I'm a amazed that we have a set with 36 planeswalkers and i'm not really afraid that standard or even limited is going to be broken like that was a concern heading into the spoiler season like uh, yeah this is going to be neat from like a player's perspective because everyone loves planeswalkers especially newer players love planeswalkers so it's going to be successful but what is the cost to standard from having 36 planeswalkers and now that we see the full picture I haven't really been hearing that concern, and I'm not really concerned about it. I think Standard is going to function really well and be pretty awesome. Yeah, I think Standard's fine. I'm a little worried about Limited. We're going to find out, but it seems really <laughs> bomby and swingy. Like, if your opponent just has a bomb and your answer doesn't line up, like, you're dead. And usually there's, like, you know, one or two of those in a set, but there's so many in this set that if there's just something that on the battlefield unanswered, you're going to die. So... Uh, it'll be interesting to see how limited goes. Uh, we're going to find out uh, pretty soon. I do feel, though, that they did a good job of making it so not all the planeswalkers are bombs. Like, traditionally, in limited, you're just like, oh, it's a planeswalker, it's going to be insane. And I feel like some of the planeswalkers feel like that, but we also have a lot of planeswalkers where I'm like, eh, like I guess that's okay in limited, but it's not actually really a bomb or something is just going to automatically win you the game. So it's going to be really cool. And we'll get our first taste of it very shortly in a topic we'll get to in a few minutes with Mythic Championship London being this crazy GP slash Mythic Championship pre-release event. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. Before we get into that, we have a few individual cards we wanted to talk about. So Richard, why don't you uh, guide us through our last few preview cards, spoiler cards from yeah. War of the Spark? All right. Spoiler alert. Uh, Gideon dies. <laughs> but before he dies, he gave us an awesome card. We have Gideon Blackblade. One white white, so three CMC, four starting loyalty. The passive is as long as it's your turn, Gideon is a 4-4 human soldier creature with indestructible, that's still a planeswalker, prevent all damage that would be dealt to Gideon during your turn. Plus one up to one other target creature you control gains your choice of vigilance lifelink and indestructible until end of turn minus six exile target non-land permanent he's a mythic that feels like a gideon what happened <laughs> why is this card so good seth like it's a four yeah. four indestructible prevents all damage okay so as if that's not good enough, you can actually plus one him to give something else lifelink or indestructible or vigilance. Like what? <laughs> so now you can animate him without using an ability because he's always animated. He can't be like doombladed. You actually need to exile him. Good luck blocking him. And then he can give like another creature indestructible or lifelink. Like how do you kill this? Like what? <laughs> like why is yeah. this a card? <laughs> Gideon, Gideon is pretty insane. Uh, it feels very much like past Gideons, but as you said, the thing is, uh, it, with past Gideons, which pretty much all have a similar ability where they turn into big indestruct, uh, indestructible creatures, this one you can do both. Like you're, you have the creature and you can use the activated abilities, which is really crazy. Uh, I don't know. This card feels very strong and very pushed to me. I think, 
if there's any saving grace, it is limited index you want to put it in. Like, if you read this Gideon, it's not one of the more control Gideons. In the past, we had some, like, straight-up control Gideons, like Gideon Jura is basically a Gideon that you play in a control deck. We had some, like, in-between Gideons, like Ally of Zendikar could kind of go both ways and be top-end of aggro, or just, like, a decent value Planeswalker in control. Gideon Blackblade is pretty much straight-up aggro deck, but if you're playing some sort of, like, white weenie or blue-white weenie deck in standard... This seems like kind of just an auto-include. The stats are good. You can do so much with it. I don't know. It seems like a really strong Gideon to me. Like, oh, it's just... It's so gross. <laughs> like, I don't know. We don't even have... Uh, what was the two-mana minus four, minus four card that used to be in standard? Oh, Grasp of Darkness, I think. Yeah, we don't even have that. Like, what? Like, I don't know, man. This, this seems bad. It's like, you just attack with, like, the, the answer to Planeswalkers is you attack it, right? But good luck attacking, like, into a white weenie, especially when they're giving their creatures either indestructible vigilance or lifelink. What? Yeah. Like, he protects himself with the vigilance, right? As long as you're aggressive, uh, I'm scared of this. The, the saving grace is in older formats. Tarmogoyf blocks it. <laughs> that's that, that's the saving grace. A 4-5 blocks a 4-4. Four, four. Yeah. I mean, I guess we survived three mana Gideon that turned into a 4-4, four, four, but... Oh, that's totally different, though. That's, like, the entire ability that turn, right? That's, like, a zero yeah. that wastes his turn. Yeah, that is the biggest difference, is uh, you can do that and something else with Gideon Blackblade. So, do you actually think this card is in the conversation for, like, modern or other older formats? Maybe in, like, a Naya Zoo deck or something like that, but I think the fact that... You know, Death Shadow blocks it, Tarmogoyf blocks it, you have Path to Exile. It's it's not that strong, but I do think he's going to run rampant in standard. Yeah, I guess a 4-mana 3-3 three, three just... <laughs> in standard, that's pretty awesome. In modern, you're like, eh, I got 1-mana, like, 8-8, eight, eight, so... Yeah. Yeah, and then, like, you know, it doesn't help you against the combo decks that just go off and kill you anyway, so I, I don't know about older formats, but definitely... Uh, limited, bonkers, standard. I'm going to say bonkers, but maybe everyone just ends up playing control or something, right? And then all you do is just, you know, take your beats and then exile it, and then like, that's it. <laughs> all right, next up we have uh, Casualties of War. It's a rare two black, black, green, green. So six CMC, choose one or more. Oh, it's a sorcery. Destroy target artifact, destroy target creature, destroy target enchantment. Destroy target land, destroy target planeswalker. So I mostly want to talk about this card because I want to hear your uh, filthy casual Richard Commander thoughts. Like, is this a auto include in any commander deck that can cast it? Like, is it that good in commander or is it just kind of like, eh, sometimes I might play it? I don't, I'm not particularly excited about it. Like, really? I don't know. It, it, it is a five for one, but like how many times are there like five must kill threats? I'd rather just play some kind of sweeper. Okay. But I, I don't know. Like I, I guess like most often you'll probably kill like an artifact creature land, maybe an enchantment, but it is six mana. So I don't actually like it that much. I don't think it's that good. Like I don't, I wouldn't be itching to play this card, but I might play it. So it's, I'm actually kind of excited for it in Commander because I feel like outside of maybe Planeswalker, which can be a little more hit or miss, but actually might change with War of the Spark releasing so many Planeswalkers. It feels like in most Commander games, there's an artifact and creature enchantment and land on the battlefield that 
are really worth getting rid of. That's just, like, kind of how the format works when you consider, like, uh, there's just powerful cards of every card type that show up in Commander. So I think that even if you're getting, like, three or four things for six mana, that's kind of a nice uh, a nice deal for six mana. And I also like uh, the comparison we've seen is, like, Windgrace's Judgment, which blows up one thing of each opponent's, essentially. So it's a straight three for one for five mana, I believe, in instant speed. But I also like that you can just kind of hose one person with this. Like, sometimes when Grace's <laughs> Judgment, you might have one player that has the best enchantment and artifact and creature, and you can just be like, all right, Tomer, like, I'm killing all your stuff, go. <laughs> well, okay, when Grace's Judgment is an instant, which I think makes all the difference. Like, here, you're just making up to three enemies at once, right? Killing everything, because you're like... Well, I guess I got to kill the land because, like, why not value, right? So you have to kill, like, a land when you don't even want to. And then you just make an enemy for no reason. And then at sorcery speed, so now everyone just piles on the beats onto you. I like, guess, six I mana, what is this, like, a five for one? Six mana, five for one is not that great. Like, at six mana, I could do a lot more damage, right? So I actually like the cheaper spells, like the, uh, uh, what's the white that exiles to enchantments? Return. Oh, uh, return to dust. Return to dust. I like those kind of cards better than these expensive cards because at six mana, uh, I'd rather cast. Um, oh, what's the X spell? Graze of Ga- Granite. Like one, one of those like giant sweeper spells that just gets rid of everything. Yeah, yeah. I guess. I guess. Or that like makes pernicious sense. deed, or you know, some. I don't know. Like I don't know. It's like six to eight mana. It's all the same, right? So I'd rather just go for one of those. Yeah, or our, uh, our favorite boom that. pile, four mana, flip a coin. <laughs> That's all you need. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's talk about the finale cycle. So these are all cards that do something. And then if you spend, uh, they're all X spells. If you spend 10 or more on X, they do something crazy. And the card I like best is Finale of Devastation. It's a mythic X green green sorcery. Search a library and or graveyard for a creature with converted mana cost X or less and put it onto the battlefield. If you search your library this way, shuffle it. If X is 10 or more, creatures you control get plus X plus X and gain haste until end of turn. Yeah, that card is kind of busted. I mean, uh, at least it has a lot of potential. If you consider that Green Sun Zenith is a worse version of this card that costs one less green mana, so it is one mana cheaper, but it is objectively worse because you can only hit green creatures. It doesn't get creatures from the graveyard. doesn't have the random, you cast it for a million mana upside. Uh, And that card's so good it's banned in modern. I feel like Finale of Devastation has got to have potential to show up uh, in standard, in modern, in commander like almost across formats i think people are going to try this card yeah getting from your graveyard is a big deal because you know sometimes your combo piece or whatever is in the graveyard uh i like to think of this as demonic tutor so it's just two mana get whatever and then <laughs> cast it on the same turn so not exactly the same because you can you know spend your mana differently you can get a sorcery and things like that but i think this is good i think this is a commander staple Every single green deck will play this, like, forever. Sometimes you cast it for X equals 10 and crater hoof everyone. I don't know. But just like the green sun zenith for one plus mana, it's like a demonic tutor, and you can get stuff back from your graveyard. Like, why not? Yeah, and if you ever need to really kill people, you can cast this for X equal 10 or more and get a crater hoof. (laughs) Yeah, and you can loop this, 
right? If you get like an eternal witness or something, like you can get it, it back. It doesn't exile, yeah. yeah. I think this also has some interesting modern applications. I agree with you completely about Commander. Uh, we have decks like uh, the Vizier of Remedies Devoted Druid combo deck. Uh, that's a deck that loves tutoring out its creatures. And the upside of this compared to something like Greenstone Zenith, which is banned, but you can get creatures of any color. So you can get your white combo pieces and your green combo pieces. Decks like Elves can make a ton of mana and want to search out specific finishers, uh, Azuris or Crater Hoofs or whatever. So I feel like this card... Definitely in the conversation for modern as well. And standard, I mean, I guess it's fine. Uh, standard, I think I'm actually less excited about it just because you don't have as game-breaking of things to tutor up with it as you do in Commander or in Modern. There's not too many like, okay, if I tutor up this one specific creature, I just win the game. But it's still, I mean, the mana cost is efficient enough and it offers so much upside that, yeah, it just seems like a really good card all around. Yeah, I wonder if anyone will get X equals 10 in standard. <laughs> <laughs> like, the, can you go long enough? I, I think you can't. Like, if everyone plays, like, if you remember, like, the, the Coco mirrors, like, if everyone plays, like, grindy mid range, like, you could actually get X equals 10. <laughs> so, there's, maybe. There's a lot of ramp. Yeah, you'd, I think it's possible if you build around it. The question is, what are you going to tutor up with all that mana? I guess some big, like, dinosaur or something. Like it it does not sweet. matter, right? All your creatures get plus 10, plus 10 in haste until end of turn oh, we're, plus. We're, we're just on the 12 mana overrun plan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it doesn't matter what you tutor at that point. Like, Lodomore Elf is, like, lethal or something, right? So <laughs> Yeah, I, I guess that's true. People have also pointed out Marwyn, uh, the elf that taps equal to its power is pretty sweet with this because you can cast it for a ton of mana get a big hasty Morrowind and immediately like recoup all your mana by tapping Morrowind to do more stuff so I think there are some sweet standard tricks too yeah uh, we do have uh, what is Azur's Gateway that's a way to make tons of mana right that's still standard yeah, yeah. That's, that is still in standard if you can flip it yeah and then in Commander you have Nykthos uh, Bajuka not Bajuka <laughs> what's the Green. other one Cabal Cabal, uh, Cabal coffers. Yeah. This, like, you can tutor a black creature up with this, right? Which is something very different than Green Sun Zenith. We can only tutor up a green creature. Yeah. All right. Uh, next up, we have God Eternal Oketra. Three white, white, three six, legendary creature, zombie god, double strike. Whenever you cast a creature spell, create a four four black zombie warrior creature token with vigilance. When God Eternal Ketra dies or is put into exile from the battlefield, you may put it into its owner's library third from the top. This is a card that I expect is going to play worse than it reads. I think when you read this card and you're like, oh my goodness, if I untap with Oketra, I can cast a one drop and I get a four four as a kicker. That sounds absurd. But when you really think about how a game of magic plays out, if you're playing like uh, some sort of white based aggro deck, you're going to want to empty your hand before you get to five mana because that's how those decks play. If you're playing a more controlling deck that probably has a hand when you get to five mana for a Ketra, you're probably not going to have that many creatures. So this is a card that I feel like it reads really powerful, but I expect it's actually going to play kind of clunkily, even though... Obviously, if you untap with it and cast, like, two creatures, the value is insane. You're getting so much mana worth of value by making those 4-4s. Four uh, so we'll see. What do you think about this one, Richard? I think I agree. Like, is it better than, like, a Lyra or, you know, any of the crazy five drops we got in this set? The problem is, as with most cards, if you untap with it and get to attack at, like, five, you're probably going to win. 
but most of the time it's going to come down it's going to die immediately it's going to shuffle into your library third from the top and that's it right so and also like if you're on the verge of death it doesn't save you like lyra kind of has the same problem but it saves you from dying like it can block and gain you five life uh whereas a ketra like they'll just go wide and kill you anyway so i don't think it'll be that good like like you said it's kind of a win more like if you get to cast a five drop untap with it not be dead and then still cast additional creatures like you're pretty good right? like you're, you're doing pretty well for yourself right and uh so so yeah and then the zombies don't have uh evasion or anything so i don't know we have lots of good five drops like in a, in a different standard i think this would be really good but I don't know. We just have so many good cards that it's just one of them. And maybe some white decks will play it, but I don't really want to warp my deck to play Oketra. I do think it's sweet in the 99 of white black zombie decks in Commander. Uh, I don't really know if I, I don't think I like it as a commander that much, but in the 99 and white black zombies, one of the easiest zombie combos you have is like Phyrexian altar plus uh grave crawler for infinite casting a zombie essentially. Uh, and if you have an Aketra out when you go through that, you also make infinite four fours that also happen to be zombies. So I think that it's a cool card for like very specific niche archetypes in commander. Uh, but other than that, I don't know, like it's powerful but I just don't know where it fits. That's that's just a two... That's like a three-card combo with your commander. Like, why not make a Ketra your... Oh, you can't make a commander because of yeah, black. Yeah, you need yeah. a white-black yeah, huh. commander yeah. to do it. So you can't really... Yeah, that would be insane. If there was an equivalent of Gravecrawler in mono-white, then it would be absurd. Because that's infinite mana right there, right? With the with the altar out. That, is, that actually is a good point. It is infinite mana because you can sack the zombie token as well. So you're getting two mana for every one mana. So yep. infinite tokens, infinite mana. Yeah. So that probably has potential. Yeah. And then you can cast, <laughs> you can make it Abzan. You could cast your finale to uh, <laughs> tutor up a crater hoof, give everything like 30 30 or something in attack. Oh, there we uh, go. We broke it. We, we broke it. We did it. Uh, I'm going to write that down quickly for my commander clash notes. <laughs> All right, next up, we have Blast Zone. So it's a land, it's a rare. It enters a battlefield with a charge counter. Tap it to add a colorless mana. XX tap, put X charge counters on Blast Zone. Three tap, sacrifice Blast Zone. Destroy each non-land permanent with converted mana cost equal to the number of charge counters on Blast Zone. Escard's crazy. I mean, it is an insane amount of value. I don't think we've ever seen, like, a sweeper attached to a land. This is, like, a ratchet bomb, almost, that comes in land form, and while that might not sound exciting, the thing is the opportunity cost to play a land is just so incredibly low. Like, you're not taking a real card out of your deck. You're, the downside is you have to play a colorless land. It even comes into play untapped. I guess the only thing I dislike is the safety valve of it coming into play with a charge counter, which keeps you from, like, immediately blowing up tokens which is one of the common uses of like ratchet bomb but that's just an absurd amount of value in the land slot yeah and remember we're in a set with proliferate so you don't need to spend all your time in mana you can just proliferate this thing up Uh, i do agree with you it's weird that you can't kill you can't kill uh tokens with this so strange but i mean it'll help you kill actual things because you're one way up it doesn't even come into battlefield tapped very very strange. I would have thought this land should have come into battlefield tapped, but it doesn't. 
So you can actually play it, uh, put a counter on it, and then the turn after nuke at two. You can proliferate, yeah. you know, a sweeper on a land that doesn't come into play tapped is pretty good. And I think we're going to see this a lot. Uh, it will be a staple in Commander. And get your strip mines ready. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I I always do. <laughs> It's so it's so good that there is an opportunity cost. There's always so many colorless lands you can play now. I know a land I always want to play but don't have a slot for is uh, the one that makes everything lose hexproof. Oh yeah. But I'm like, this oh, but there's like so that, right? many colorless lands that I need to be playing, and I'm like, I usually cut that one, and this is just another land to throw into the mix. I think this is probably good enough to make the cut, though. I would rather play this than the everything loses hexproof land. I think. I think this is more powerful than that in general. Yeah, but how you get a maze of it that uh, <laughs> lightning greaves thing, man? Come on. <laughs> uh, fair, fair enough. All right, uh, last card we want to talk about, Narset's Reversal. Blue, blue, instant. Copy target instant or sorcery spell, then return it to its owner's hand. You may choose new targets for the copy. This card seems really good to me. This seems like a card that I would play in most of my blue commander decks, uh, where there's always good spells to copy. Plus, it offers a lot of value if you can copy your own spell, because, uh, like in standard, for example, you do your whatever, wilderness reclamation, tap and untap, cast your hues, expansion explosion, leave up two extra mana, you still get your expansion explosion, and it's back in your hand, so next turn you could do it again to just, like, straight up kill your opponent. So I feel like you could do some really sweet tricks with Narset's Reversal on your own cards, and in a format like Commander, there's just really good things that you can copy with this, and two mana is a really cheap price. Yeah, two mana is the perfect Teferi mana, so you Teferi, you have plus the Nebraska's Contempt you Narcess like, Reversal yeah. yeah so it's like a remand where instead of drawing a card you just get the spell that they cast basically so I think you'll see play in standard I don't know depends I, I don't know like if you're trying to counter stuff like if you're playing mono red like do you really want to counter their lightning bolt or whatever like eh right so I, I don't know but I do think it has potential and if you play it against your own cards it becomes like a weird snapcaster where you get to copy your spell and then get it again so it does have uses it's only two mana it is blue blue uh and maybe was remand too good for standard when it was out i don't know i think remand is too good i think yeah i think it's considered to be too good for standard and it it probably is too good for standard i would be excited for this in modern if it wasn't for remand being so good i think that's the problem like remand is single blue instead of double blue and i think it's just mostly better you can do the same tricks like bounce my grape shot recast it kill you things like that uh but remand i think is probably better than this uh, outside of like some specific combo or something that i'm not thinking of at the moment yeah and commander i think this is really good i think um we have all the fork spells, uh, but fork plus a bounce, uh, is pretty good. Like, you know, if someone rises the dark realms, I guess fork does it too, cause you win out on it. But, uh, it does stuff like that, or you can copy people's ramp, stop their ramp for a turn, ramp yourself up. Like, it's, it's pretty good. Yeah, I agree. It's only a little, uh, the only place it's a little awkward is in counter wars, because you're like, 
uh, giving your opponent their counter back to their hand, so it's like somewhat less valuable than you would think in some scenarios, because uh, when you're bouncing your opponent's spell, but still, uh, there's enough upside that I expect this to be really good in Commander, and people to probably try to figure out something to do with it in other formats. Yeah. All right. I think that's all the cards we want to talk about. We have a ton of cards. We can't talk about all of them, so you can check them out uh, at MTG Previews, where we have all the cards up. Oh, yeah. So that is our War of the Spark topic. That looks awesome, but we still have a bunch of other product announcements to get through uh, here. So uh, the big one is they announced the end of last week, Mythic Edition returning for War of the Spark. And uh, if you remember what this is, Mythic Edition, it's like eight full art foil planeswalkers or like extended art planeswalkers for War of the Spark. It's Gideon Blackblade, the new Nicole Bolas from War of the Spark, Jace the Mind Sculptor, Ugin the Spirit Dragon, and then a bunch of like lesser planeswalkers, Tezzeret the Seeker, Garrick Apex Predator, Nahiri the Harbinger, and and Sarkin Unbroken, 250 bucks. You also get two-thirds of a box of War of the Spark with it. Richard, what do you think about uh, this product? Thank God this is selling on eBay, Seth. Uh, this thing is going to sell, like, wildfire. Jason Ugin are already over $250. Um, yeah. Yeah, and you're guaranteed these cards. So people, so these are obviously going to drop in price, okay? But it is Jace the Mind Sculptor. It is Ugin the Spirit Dragon. And even Gideon is here. Like, heck, you know, you can pimp out your legacy deck and then your standard deck is pretty good too, right? Nickel Bolas. Uh, so I think this will be insanely popular. It will sell out. Uh, so get on eBay. <laughs> May 1st, $250. Gotta win the lottery and like get free money from Watsi here. Like this is what we gotta do. Refresh, refresh, refresh. <laughs> it will totally sell out. They said how many was it like twelve thousand, fifteen thousand? How many copies? Twelve thousand. Twelve thousand copies. I mean yeah, It's gonna be the, the bad foiling though, right? I think the foiling is eh, kinda so so. Yeah, it's not like the, the from the vault one. Prefer. It's not the the Dominaria Japanese cardstock thing, right? I believe, yeah. I believe it is not. And just to like put this in perspective, uh right now the Guilds of Ravnica Mythic Edition sealed up is selling for Eh, six to six fifty on eBay, and that was just what six months ago that came out. And Revnica Allegiance is selling for around three hundred, and uh, they sell for two hundred and fifty. So I think this is the best edition of Mythic Edition, just because of Jace and Ugin. I've heard some finance types saying that they believe that this will be selling for maybe up to like eight hundred dollars by the end of the year. Which uh, basically, if you have the extra money. This product is essentially a slam dunk financially if you can get your hands on it. Like, there's, you could buy this and immediately just resell it and you would get more than you paid for it. So, uh, and bonus if you actually want the cards, cause this is gonna be way cheaper than buying Mythic, uh, Mythic Edition Jaces and Ugins or whatever. So, uh, basically if you got extra money laying around and you can snag a copy, uh, I would definitely recommend it. I have not tried to get either of the last two Mythic Editions and I will be F5ing the eBay store <laughs> on May 1st because it, it, this is just a, such a solid edition of playing walkers because of jason Nugent. you know who else has money seth wizards of the coast Twelve thousand copies at 250 dollars is three million <laughs> and, and you know sell, this will sell, sell out hours. right yeah. yeah like oh if they wanted to have actual prize support 
like for tournaments like they i they could easily make like a five ten million dollar tournament just selling some random promotion right oh yeah. oh they definitely could free they money should, directly into their pockets they even cut out the lgs ebay still takes their cut though <laughs> at, at least they switched to ebay so uh it is much less i it's still rough for local game stores and that part still bothers me but uh, the first one was sold on their toy shop in Good lord, was that a fiasco? But it did go much smoother last time once they switched to eBay rather than their own website. So I'm hopeful uh, that it'll go smoothly this time. I think I don't expect them to sell out in seconds unless this is just so valuable that we have people like setting up bots and stuff to try to do it, which I don't know. Maybe that's a thing that could happen. I think last time you could get them for a few hours with the Ravnica Allegiance edition. Uh, so I would expect though that you're going to need to get it fairly quickly to snag a copy. I think it's maximum two per customer. So yeah, uh, be alert on May 1st for your copies if you're interested. No chance it lasts hours. I, I no. think this is like a ticket mas- a ticket master concert or something. <laughs> like you got to be there like one minute in or like you're done for. I think these will sell really fast, especially given the value, right? Like people will just buy it to resell it. Yeah, this is a product that even if you don't want these cards, people are going to buy just because of the financial aspect of it. So that, yeah, that's a good point. That is a very yeah. good point. So be quick if you're going to try to snag a copy or two. Uh, the other product announcement we got is not quite as crazy as Mythic Edition, but it's our second signature spellbook, Signature Spellbook Gideon, featuring our newly deceased Planeswalker. And uh, this one, I don't think there's a solid release date. The article I read said around when War of the Spark releases, but I didn't see an actual date on it. Also, don't know exactly how much it costs. Last year, it was $20 MSRP. We don't have MSRP anymore. I'm assuming that it's going to be $20 like last time, but that's actually not 100% confirmed because we're in this new no MSRP world. Uh, you get a Gideon Jura. They all have sweet, unique art like Signature Spellbook Jace last year. The big hitters are Rest in Peace, Path to Exile, and Worship. Also, I think Martyr's Bond is worth a decent amount. And then there's uh, Blackblade Reforged, True Conviction, which I don't even know how many times Richard has killed us with on Commander's <laughs> Clash, Shielded by Faith. I added them up. Uh, it's like $46 worth of cards. I think for the original printings of these cards for 20 bucks. I mean, just like rest in peace, path, tax, and worship are all in almost $10. So I think you get your money's worth bonus points for having sweet art. What do you think about this one, Richard? So if you're building a white commander deck, <laughs> this has got some pretty good cards in it. Uh, other than that, I don't know. Like the, the black blade looks pretty cool, but path to exile, I'm not I'm not feeling it. I like the original art and frame. I just don't like these frames. They're a little weird. The frames but the true are conviction weird. is sweet. And like rest, rest in, in peace, peace I like. Yeah, like the, I like the Gideon the rest statue. Peace art. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. I think basically if you're looking at this product for commander you get true conviction which is kind of a staple i guess path to exile is kind of a staple and rest in peace sees play uh and also martyrs bond i think is like sort of a staple although we never play it i don't know if i've ever seen anyone play it on commander clash uh and then for modern path to exile is a staple rest in peace is a staple and worship uh shows up now and then as well you missed the greatest artifact black blade reforged <laughs> It's really good in Commander. Like I don't know why everyone just doesn't auto include it. It it's like a like a two shot kill with like any commander. <laughs> just like any generic commander, you just equip it and you're like, hey, it's two turn clock, like Voltron in one card, right? <laughs> 
yeah, I mean, I guess that's true. So, I mean, I think if you're looking for it for either of those reasons, like you don't have Pass and Rest in Peace for Modern, or you don't have the Commander staples for Commander, it seems like a fine product to pick up. Or if you just really like the unique art or the unique frame, which I'm kind of mint on the frame too, like you are, but I, I'm sure some people really like it. So, uh, regardless, you get your $20 worth when you buy this product. Uh, same as Mythic Edition, not as exciting, but you do get your money's worth. So, another solid release coming up shortly so i think that covers our product releases uh real quick before we get to your fish mail let's hit on mythic championship london which is coming up this weekend uh it starts on friday it's in london obviously which means a little bit awkward time zones for the u.s uh, especially especially for you richard uh, i'm lucky i think it starts at like 5 a.m my time so i just like sleep through the draft and wake up at like 6 30 and i'm good to go for you it's probably Probably like 3 a.m. or something ridiculous. So, uh, oh, and I like watching that. draft now. I, I am now, I'm a, now a limited player. And it's the first, it's like the pre release, right? Like it's happening for the first time. So, this is going to be a very different limited. Are you really going to skip it, Seth? Probably the first hour or two. <laughs> <laughs> that seems, that seems possible. I mean, yes, I would love to see the new limited, but. A glowing. Um, oh, you know what's going to be tough? Like, we won't know any of the cards. It's already hard enough when you know, like, say, 30% of the cards or 50% of the cards. Now we're like, oh, the glare and, like, what is this card? Like, what is going on? Oh, it's going to be a tough limited. But it'll be exciting. Yeah, oh, it'll definitely be exciting. I think, like, 4 a.m. is probably, like, the worst time. I would rather just have it start at, like, 2 a.m. and be like, all right, I'm just going to stay up all night, whatever. But 4 a.m., like, it's late enough that you can't just stay up all night, but it's early enough that you can't get up comfortably at 4 a.m. for three days in a row. So, well, we'll see. But regardless, there's a few things I wanted to mention. Number one, uh, pre-release limited. What do you think about this, Richard? Is having the very first tournament, an actual, like, pre-release event for War of the Spark, and the Pro Tour stage. Is that good idea, bad idea? Are you more excited because of that? Less excited? I don't know, but I, I it is exciting. Like, I think John Finkel will, like, wreck face. Like, I think people that are just naturally good at the game with intuition have a huge leg up. Like, usually with the Pro Tour, you know, you can just slam, like, hundreds of games, thousands of games, get the repetitions in and, like, kind of match those people with, like, the raw intuition. Now you can't, right? So now you got to be good and you got to figure it out just based on kind of mentally playing it out. So it'll be a very interesting limited round. Um, it's very exciting to see. Like this will shape limited. Normally limited gets to play out a bit and then you see what happens on the pro tour and it shapes limited. Now this will actually shape limited because it is the first event we see. Yeah. I'm definitely, I think that part's really exciting. I dislike the impact on local game stores having pre-release and Pro Tour at the same time. That's been, like, a bit of a controversy. But just from a viewer's perspective, I think it's going to be really cool to see players, like, potentially not know what all the cards are doing and and having to, like, struggle through it like everyone else does at pre-release, which I think is cool. All right, but here's the beauty, Seth. Here's the beauty, Seth. I can play the midnight (laughs) pre-release. Finish it up. (laughs) And then go straight at the Pro Tour. Like, how great is that? <laughs> that, that? That sounds like a long day, but that is good timing. That is perfect timing. 
<laughs> so discounting limited the other big news of this pro tour is well number one it's modern and we haven't had a modern pro tour in a bit but more importantly it's modern with the london mulligan rule this is the test of the london mulligan rule also open deck list which is a new twist uh, for a pro tour that they haven't had before everyone's gonna know their deck list after the first round of the tournament so uh richard how broken do you think this Pro Tour will be? What is, what are you predicting London Mulligan rule-wise? Are we going to see just a normal modern tournament, or are we going to see people doing really busted things to try to take advantage of this rule during the testing period? I think it'll be the same. Like, modern's already pretty broken, and <laughs> you're just going to see stuff happen. You'll you'll sometimes see someone thought see someone out the game. Other times, you'll just see them go off and kill you. Like, I, I don't know that we'll see anything different. But I do think that will keep the London Mulligan. And if Modern looks terrible, we'll, we'll just like fix the format. Like I think that's what they're gonna do. But I think trying to make games more interactive, making like balls to five feel less bad, I think that's high on Watsy's list. So I think regardless of what happens here, I think London Mulligan is gonna stay unless really like it really like breaks the game. But I don't think it will. I think. We'll just see more people lead to combo. We'll see the king of combos come out, whatever deck that is. Uh, we'll just have a great old time with modern and kind of the wackiness of modern. My my tinfoil hat theory is that yes, they have pretty much my they've already made up their minds more or less. Unless this is an absolute disaster that they want to put the rule into place, but they also know that it's risky, so they're going to put force of will in modern horizons. That's my tinfoil hat theory on this whole situation. Oh, oh! If they put force of will. Like, what else can they put in? Like, just imagine though. Like, we have a super busted pro tour with all these combos, and then on Sunday they're like, "Yeah, guess what, guys? We have a, a spoiler for you for Modern Horizons. Take a look at this, and it's force of will." And then everyone's like, "Oh, okay, Modern's gonna be fine. We got force of will, even if it's really busted." Yeah. I do. Well, think let it's me tell impact. you what combo decks and legacy do. Seth, they use force <laughs> of will to protect their combos, and now everyone needs to play blue. <laughs> So you didn't fix anything. <laughs> that That is definitely a concern. I do think we're going to see some different decks. Uh, at least I think there's a, a pretty high probability that we see the metagame look different. And I think it's not just because of the London Mulligan rule, but the combination of open deck lists and the London Mulligan rule, I think has a really big impact. Uh, it definitely incentivizes you to play uh, some random like hosiery type cards in your main deck more. Like Dredge is really popular. With a combination of knowing that your opponent's on dredge in game one and the London Mulligan rule, if you stick like a rest in peace in your sideboard, the odds of you mulliganing into that card are actually pretty high, and all of a sudden your control deck uh, is maybe favored to beat dredge in game one, because they don't really have answers to your rest in peace in game one. So I think we're going to see some interesting stuff happen as far as deck building and gameplay because of the uniqueness of the format. So I'm definitely really hyped for it. I love modern anyway, and I think this is going to be a really interesting tournament. I'm hopeful that someone goes all in on just breaking this rule, and we see something like Narset combo or other like turn one wins that are glass cannony because you have to mulligan so much normally to specifically take advantage of this rule. So I'm hopeful we don't just see, oh, it's Tron and Dredge and humans, but some people like go really deep on this rule and try to break it. Yeah. And of the open deck list, I really, I dislike it. I, I think it takes kind of the fun out of playing modern, like in modern. You never know what random hoser your opponent has. Like, you're like, okay, they're on, like, say, Esper Control. 
but are they playing a settle the wreckage, <laughs> right? Like, are they, you know, how many Path of Exiles are they playing? You know, do they have rest in peace in the sideboard? Probably, but how many? Like, these little nuggets of surprises go away. Like, a lot of time, like, Crim is notorious for this. You put one or two, like, cute cards that no one will ever expect, and then you get them. Uh, the open deck list ruins all of that. And it just makes everyone play stockless because... There's no point in risking your one of card because everyone knows it's coming anyway. So like, eh, right? Like, I, I don't like that part of it. I also dislike that part of it, although I think it might be worth the cost because the, the upside is it makes coverage a lot better. You can actually have like the Twitch add-ons or whatever to have the deck list be there in real time for everyone watching the tournament. So yes, it does objectively make gameplay worse in some sense but i think for events like pro tours it might be that that's worth it just to make the viewing experience so much better for players but why do you need the deck list like you just need to know what cards are being played like why do you need to reveal the deck list yeah all right all right well i'm not i'm actually not a <laughs> which is weird because I'm the type of person that probably gets hurt most by this change. Uh, people who play weird rogue brews, actually, one of the biggest upsides to playing weird decks that are not what everyone else is playing is you get wins because people just don't know what you're doing, and they don't know what combo you're using or what cards are in your deck, and they misplay because of that because they just don't have all the information. So it actually hurts players like me, but I still am like, I don't know. This is probably... this. I still think it might be a good change overall. Can you ask a judge for random you can ask a judge for random oracle text right so if you're if your opponent's deck list has a card you don't know what it does you can just ask a judge right you can get oracle text yeah 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 i was gonna say just use weird obscure old cards and people are like what are these cards <laughs> <laughs> like what, what is going on <laughs> but that doesn't work so eh, we'll, we'll we'll see how it goes with coverage maybe maybe it'll be better for coverage and it'll be fine like you know we don't have that uh that incident where coverage leaks a deck, right? Because all yeah. decks will be public now, so it's fine. <laughs> I, it does help with de uh, doing deck techs and stuff, too, because that was a big concern a couple of Pro Tours ago with people being, like, at a disadvantage because they were featured in a deck tech on day one or something. Now, with all deck lists published, you can show off the coolest decks in deck tech starting from, like, the very first round because everyone's going to know anyway. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, we're getting towards the end of our... Oh, yeah, one last thing before we uh, get to fish mail. Richard, what deck's going to win the Pro Tour? Something with ancient stirrings. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, that that's that's probably true. I, I'm gonna say I'm gonna say uh, that's probably most likely like. Wait, or is ancient stirrings less important now? Cause you could mull into your card. And you don't need to tutor it up with the stirrings, huh? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh. oh man, I'm gonna say Tron. Sadly, but I'm really rooting for something off the wall to break the format. That's what I want to see most: is something off the wall that someone figured out how to abuse this rule, uh, like restore balance. It wants you to be empty-handed or an R-set combo, something crazy that just comes out of nowhere and is absolutely unbeatable and destroys the field. That's what I want to see most of all. I, I think it's a deck that doesn't get totally hosed by, uh, like a sideboard card. So I don't think Dredge will do that well. I actually don't think Tron will do that well. This is based on like no knowledge of what's been going on, by the way. It's just random guesses. Like I think the decks that even if you like people will like mull to five or something to get their perfect 
sideboard card and then the deck will be like okay i'll just go to plan b and kill you right i think the decks that can do that will do well because i think people will probably over mull like okay four cards rest in peace i got you and they're like i'll just beat you to death with like this noble hierarch or something right and you're like oh i have nothing to do against that because i've mulled to four and i have no cards <laughs> right like i think that will happen a surprisingly high number of times all right so that's our pro tour coverage richard before we run out of time today let's answer some uh, sweet sweet fish mail questions all right if you have questions send them to at mtg goldfish with the hashtag mtg fish mail and we'll get to your questions on air mike carroza with the new set a lot of shops are selling war of the spark boxes without the buyer box promo and then charging more for a box with the promo doesn't this go against the spirit of the whole thing what are your thoughts and does the lack of msrp play into this uh so i would have to research this but my guess would be that's something that is like not allowed and maybe even like a reportable offense like i i my guess is you're not allowed to sell the i know you're not allowed to sell the buy a box promo and to me that sounds like selling the buy a box promo so my guess is that's not actually allowed with the buy a box promo program yeah yeah i i it sounds incredibly scummy but i i would guess that watsy doesn't allow it but i don't actually know what the rules are uh rod r0002 how would you design a one mana planeswalker all right i i am uh, vetoing deathright shaman as an answer set <laughs> <laughs> oh boy now that we've seen the uncommon planeswalkers what is a common one mana planeswalker or maybe think, a rare one mana planeswalker what do you think i think it's just no no loyalty abilities it's just like it's just like the static ability with loyalty so it <laughs> dies eventually <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's not bad. It's like that, the Gideon statue. It just comes down. It gives you some static ability. And then if you attack it, it dies. Yeah, I think that could work. Yeah. Or maybe like I, it has one negative ability, but you can use it one time and it goes away. Like one mana, whatever, negative three, I don't know, exile two cards from a graveyard. And it starts with three loyalty, something like that. Yeah. I think like a one mana, two loyalty planeswalker, like minus one deal, two damage. So you, you get to do four damage, but it takes like two turns. So like maybe you get the damage in, maybe you don't get the damage in. That yeah, that that's like a sorcery speed shock with upside. Yeah. I could see that. That's a good design. Variant human. As a web developer, what things does Richard fear that Watsy will do with cars that will make his job harder? Uh, does Richard wake up cold in a cold sweat in the middle of the night from nightmares of Watsy naming Jace drop table card names? <laughs> Uh, so, so here's my biggest fear, which already happens today. Lack of consistency. So there's, there's two fears. So one, inventing a new card type. So when double face cards came out, I was like, oh, face palm, like this is like so difficult. But, uh, the way they, they name their sets is infuriating. Like, for example, the new promo cards, the mythic edition on the bottom left, it says MED, uh, which is the same set as you know the other mythic editions except they all share the same number so med001 refers to like a jace the mind sculptor and it's a fairy or something and it's just ridiculous that they have no consistency on this so that that is my rant on uh <laughs> trying to program around magic the gathering like i know i know what magic online is feeling magic online is like oh oh dear like what are you guys doing <laughs> Sex and violins. What was a time when you saw a commander come to the table, but the deck built around it was completely unexpected? 
new janky unique cool when it was totally unexpected the deck they created around the commander that wasn't unusual that wasn't the usual hmm, probably like most of richard's stacks like <laughs> a lot of them have a a like semi-legitimate commander but that it's like just some horrible tribe oh <laughs> uh, my my zaheed Jin of the lamp deck where I'm like, oh, his ability just cheats commander tax. So I'll make a Voltron deck. No one <laughs> turns out the ability is not correct. So I just made a Voltron deck with like Mahamadi to Jin. And you're like, what? <laughs> yeah, that 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 was rough. <laughs> it was fine. Saltcaster Mage. Fair mana cost for Brainstorm in Modern Horizon 2. One blue in a sorcery. Blue blue instant. Two blue instant seems worse than Thirst for Knowledge. So one blue sorcery or blue blue instant for a brainstorm? I think I think you get away with one blue instant. One blue instant? Yeah. Oh. I think I think one blue sorcery is not good enough. So I think you got to go one blue one blue instant brainstorm. I think that would be about right. Uh, I think it's too good. I don't know. Like, isn't that just like two mana draw three at instant? Mm, yeah, sorta. Eh. Well, all right. Well, then I'd go with the sorcery one. If that's too good, I think double blue. I think I'd rather have the colorless mana than double blue. Yeah, I, I think the sorcery would be more fair because you're tapped out. So you can't hold a counter spell up and then they do nothing. You just fetch brainstorm. But then again, maybe two blue. That means you need three lands to brainstorm fetch. Maybe that's fine. Yeah, I, I think that's pretty. I actually think that's pretty safe. Yeah doppelganker sometimes in the stream or in the channel i've heard seth speak some words in spanish can we dem get a demonstration of your knowledge or any language it doesn't need to be spanish only uh are you sure you didn't just hear me mispronounce the <laughs> word because i don't know any spanish can you speak spanish <laughs> no can you speak any any no. alternate can, language i can almost speak english and that's it <laughs> Good answer, good answer. Uh, Run Thunder Snow with 36 new planeswalkers and 16 new legendaries in War of the Spark. Do the legendary sorceries become better or the best in the new standard? They definitely get better. I think because of the planeswalkers in specific, legendary sorceries, I think they're back in the conversation for standard because they are all powerful. The thing that held them back was just not having the critical mass of like cheap legendary especially planeswalkers because they're harder to kill to be able to cast them consistently so i think people are going to very much reevaluate all the those cards and i wouldn't be surprised if some of them show up in legitimate standard decks for the next six months up until rotation all right that's all the time we have for fish meal this week thank you to everyone who sent them in you can send them to at mtg goldfish with the hashtag mtg fish mail and we'll get to your questions on air and i think that that brings us to the end of episode 221 of the mtg goldfish podcast so richard thanks for hanging out thanks to everyone for listening and thanks to spikes academy for supporting the show you can get 10 percent off over at spikesacademy.com with the code goldfish so uh until next week everyone have a wonderful week enjoy mythic championship london this weekend enjoy war of the spark and this is the group signing out